Hey everybody, Ben Delaney here. Welcome to the Vela News Podcast. We have got a gravel show for you today. I'm back in Boulder, Colorado, having enjoyed a fun weekend out in Lawrence, Kansas with Belgian Waffle Ride Kansas. All sorts of folks showed up to that event, including a certain Rimco Vanapool of De Kunik Quickstep. He and his teammate Matea Kaneo were in town uh, shooting a video with their bike sponsor Specialize, which has the new Crux gravel slash cyclocross race. Rimco and Matea jumped in the wafer ride. There's three events, three distance events at uh, Belgian Waffle Ride. There is the 111 mile waffle, the big one, which was won this year by Tiffany Cromwell and Tanner Ward. Then there's the 70 mile wafer, which the Quick Step folks uh, did as well as myself, and which was won by Molly Cameron. Whom we have on the show later today. Uh, Raylan Nuss, the World Cup cyclocross racer, Lawrence resident. She came out and jumped in the ride, not even expecting to do the whole thing, but was having so much fun. She stuck around, did the whole thing, and, and ended up winning it. So nice job there, Raylan. We have got Dan Hughes on the show. Dan is longtime owner of Sunflower Outdoor and Bike, uh, multi time four-time, I should say, winner of the Kansas' big gravel race, now known as Unbound Gravel. Uh, Dan walks us through his shop, which is a beautiful two-story place, uh, and was host in part to Belgian Waffle Ride. And then we talk with Molly Cameron about her experiences racing as a transgender athlete, uh, both this past weekend and then just the last 20 years or so. And what that has meant for her and you know what that could mean for American cycling going forwards. At Belgian Waffle Ride, it was interesting in that uh, Molly registered, as she's done for years and years, as a female, um, but raced and won the men's event. And then the results had her bouncing back and forth between having won the women's event and then having won the men's event. And in any event, she stood on the men's podium uh, with me and Scott Moniger was third. He didn't realize there was a podium and he drove on to Missouri eager to see a Kansas City Chiefs football game the next day. So he wasn't there, but uh, that was the, the podium. Yes, yeah, so we speak to Molly about her experiences and what that means, could mean for American cycling. Another thing I enjoyed at Belgian Waffle Ride was racing on a just-released uh, Giant Revolt. It wasn't released at the time I was there, but uh, is released now, so you can go read all about that on both Villa News and my colleague James Huang's review on CyclingTips.com. But now, let's check in with Dan Hughes in Lawrence, Kansas. Dan Hughes, we're standing here in your beautiful sunflower shop right next to the start of Belgian Waffle Ride, Kansas. You are arguably Mr. Kansas Gravel. So can you confirm or deny when you and your friends were going out doing some of the early, what is now called Unbound Gravel, it was your your plot all along to bring Quickstep riders here to Lawrence, Kansas? Well, I've been an ardent fan of the Belgian race scene for a long time, similar to Michael Marks, uh, and uh, I would watch... Ron van Vlanderen and Perry Roubaix and all the great classics and think, man, that was, that's so cool. We could do that here. Um, and Kansas has got an abundance of gravel. And obviously the folks down at Emporia started it off in 2006 with uh, Unbound or DK at the time. And 
having done 11 of those now, um, I've, I've always thought that uh, we, could, we could always do that here. We've got great gravel up here, and it's, that's the beauty of gravel is that it's different everywhere you go. If you go to Iowa, it's a different gravel than Nebraska, than a different gravel than the Flint Hills. And uh, we've got great infrastructure here and a great community. So it seemed like a no-brainer to partner up with BWR and uh, obviously have them come on board and, and uh, help us with this for sure. It makes good sense and for listeners we're standing here in a gorgeous two-story building it's stone it's wood vaulted ceilings there's a cafe downstairs vibrant part of the the collegiate community as well as the cycling community yep absolutely a question for you on cyclocross versus gravel you were an early guy on uh, racing gravel on cr- the crux which was then a cyclocross bike before gravel bikes were really a thing i mean salsa has arguably been at, been at it for a while yeah but the bike is really for a while said this cross and gravel two totally different things and now with the new crux it's like well not necessarily so what what's your take on you know how much of a difference if at all is there between a cyclocross machine and a and a gravel machine you know, I think it's, um, so when I started, there were very few cyclocross bikes around, and that was obviously the, the best choice for... Um, very few cyclocross bikes or very few gravel bikes? Well, uh, so when I started in... How old are you, Dan? <laughs> 745 <laughs> years old. Um, well, a great example would be the first bike that I did uh, DK on, or Unbound, is sitting downstairs, and it's a Brent Steelman from Redwood City, California, and it's got clearance for 700 by 42C tires, and it's a two-by, and it's got all the things that we think, and little short chain stays at 425 millimeters. Not to get overly dorky with the tech talk about that, but it's pretty much a precursor to what we see in modern gravel bikes now, right? Uh, uh, big clearance for tires, snappy rear end, the geometries have changed a little bit. But I think that arc of uh, starting off with a gravel bike or cyclocross bike and then saying, okay, well, we need to be able to have uh, bigger clearance. We need to be able to carry stuff like water and SWAT boxes and all that sort of stuff for these epic rides that we're doing. Um, I think it's really just kind of come full circle. So I know that when uh, Specialized first was interested in doing a gravel specific bike, um, they were like, well, we don't know if gravel is a thing. Um, so we're not going to dedicate molds and resources and all that sort of stuff. And we have this platform over here of, of crux, and we can probably uh, repurpose that a little bit, put some different parts on it, uh, add the third bottle cage to the bottom. That was a, a big push that I tried to get them to do. Um, and we can call it Crux Evo and satisfy that part of the market. And as we've seen gravel grow and more and more people want to ride in areas that don't have cars and they want to ride on the coolest roads, which are oftentimes gravel roads, um, obviously things have have gone in a direction where gravel is a thing and they need to have specific bikes for it. The new crux from Specialized I think is interesting is, is, you know, we started with a cyclocross bike that could be a gravel bike and now the crux I think of as a gravel bike that could be a cyclocross bike. So... There's nothing new in the bike industry. Everything comes back around. But, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting arc, and uh, I can't wait to ride one of the new Cruxes because it seems like it'd be super awesome. What, what's the perfect duration for, for a gravel race? It seems like there's been a one-upsmanship of your race is 50 miles. Oh, mine's 100. Yours is 100. Mine's 200. The XL, et cetera, et cetera. What, yeah, yeah. what do you think is the sweet spot for, for folks in Kansas that you ride with or for yourself? Like, what's, what's that sweet spot of it being ch- challenging enough to be a little intimidating but uh, something that's feasible that you want to come back and do it again the next year? Yeah, I think there's uh, an opportunity for a lot of different distances, and as, my, as I've aged, my opinion has changed on that. So I used to think that 200 miles was the perfect 
distance because it was long enough that uh, my diesel engine could get up to speed and kind of go all day, but it was short enough to be quote unquote raced. And now I think 100 miles is pretty good. And when we were riding the course uh, for BWR Kansas, I was thinking, man, 70 sounds pretty good. This is tough. This is tough. So uh, I think as long as you have an event that's got some gateway drugs involved, whether it's, and by gateway drugs, I mean a gateway uh, distance is a better way of thinking of it. So you get somebody hooked on the 50 mile and then the next year they want to do the 100 and the next year they want to do longer distances or more climbing or uh, they just want to have more challenges. And um, I love the the nature of endurance length events is that you you ride the wave of having really low moments and really high moments and you come out the other side i think a changed person at the end of that and so as long as the event is long enough to get you that that oscillation of saying okay i'm top of the world right now but it's not going to last forever and then the, the flip side is that oh my god this headwind sucks this gravel is fresh my bike isn't working the way it should you can you can get through that too and i think when you come out the other side of that you're uh it's transformative and that's that's what we want out of cycling so thanks for being a big part of transforming cycling into what it is today gravel's booming and it's you know if you had told me five years ago that quick step riders would be assembling outside of your shop i would have had many reactions but belief probably would not have been one of them so congrats on that yeah it's wild too uh so the quick step riders were here uh, this morning and we're going to go out and ride some gravel and take some pictures and uh i was lucky enough to be uh twisted my arm into riding with them which was not much of an arm twisting to be honest uh and it's surreal to ride down a gravel road that we've ridden uh, several, several times, and you're riding next to uh, Remco Evanpool, and he's, I'm like, hey, man, great job at the World Championships this year. And he's like, yes, it's very challenging. You know, you race with your trade team all year, and then you race with your country, and it's, I don't know how I like that system. And I'm like, am I really having this conversation with Remco Evanpool right now? This is crazy. So, yeah, exactly. So, um, and we're immensely gratified to be part of the gravel community, and uh, I feel very fortunate personally to have, uh, just been lucky enough there to be on the ground floor, uh, but to see it explode and welcome so many different riders, whether it's uh, every gender, every um, every racer, every completer and competer, it's um, it's a, a diverse um, tribe, uh, which I shouldn't use that word, but um, it's a diverse community, which we're honored to be part of. Absolutely. One thing that I very much appreciate about Gravel is that wherever you are, you're participating and it can be an engaging experience compared to, say, road racing. The people in the breakaway are having one experience. The people in the group are having another experience. And the guy who got up and drove two hours to spend $50 to get dropped and was wondering why he did that to feel bad about himself is having a very different experience. Seems like in gravel, there's always somebody ahead, somebody behind. There's always people to ride with. Sometimes there's nobody to ride with, but it's this yeah, ongoing thing. And yeah. I've been, it's, it's super exciting. Built to, built to fit, seems like. Yeah, and it's it's amazing to me that, um, you know, you go to a race like Unbound and you have some people that are really very, very fast and they get done and they hang around. They hang around for the people that are coming in at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock and uh, sharing all those same stories. Um, I think that's unique to gravel. They don't they don't necessarily just pack up and go home after they're done. Um, and that's, uh, that's what brings people back, I think. Thanks very much, Dan. Great chat with you. For a visual tour of Dan's shop, including his bike, the first bike to win the race now known as Unbound Gravel back in 2006, head on over to velonews.com. And now, let's go to my interview with Molly Cameron. And now I'm happy to welcome to the Velo News Podcast, Molly Cameron, a longtime bike racer, founder of Ride, and a transgender cyclist, and the person who beat me just a few days ago at Belgian Waffle Ride, Kansas. How are you, Molly? Great to see you. 
Uh, I'm doing good, Ben. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks. Now, uh, and I, I think it's fair to say you got bested by your equipment. Not you. I didn't do any besting <laughs> of you. That's all. It's all part of the part of the fun of bike racing. That was a great time. Belgian Waffle Ride, Kansas, uh, had a few different uh, distances. The Waffle is 111 miles. The Wafer. Uh, which Molly and I did it was 70 miles and uh, a couple couple gentlemen from Quick Step jo- joined in the fun there and uh, Molly and I clung like limpets to their rear wheels for a while and that was that was good fun uh, and then there was also the Wanna ride uh, a 30 mile ride so a great community experience I, I felt with a lot of different folks enjoying gravel bike racing but you know Molly I certainly want to talk t- to you today about your experience as a bike racer over the years, uh, and now your experience as an advocate uh, in the transgender cycling community, and you know, working with teams and races, uh, businesses, and just how it how it's all coming together. And you know, in some ways, I, I feel bad asking you like, what does this mean for the entire community? It's like asking one Latino person like, so what do Latinos think? But you know, at the same time, you're the the first transgender cyclist I was ever aware of years ago and I'm still the only one that I've ever spoken with at a bicycle race. Um, so that's why you're stuck with me today, my friend, and I appreciate your time. So yeah, I thought, I thought it would be good if we could just start off with the uh, last two events uh, where you've been both uh, Budget Waffle Ride Kansas and then Big Sugar. Um, as far as which category you raced and uh, how, how, that, uh, how that settled out. <laughs> that's okay that's a lot that is a well lot. <laughs> well i i i would come to it because this is what's really front and center on my mind is coming to it from uh the point of view the perspective of a person who wants to enter these races and then say you are a transgender or non-binary person and you know You hear about this race one way or another, whether through friends or it's in your town or your region, or you see it in the news or, you know, it's on a race calendar or you've raced them a bunch. And then you go to the website and you're like, I want to do this race. And you look at all the stuff, you read all the the, 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 uh, registration info and all the rules and everything. And you're like, cool, I'm going to go and register this race. And the wild thing about gravel races is you know, I'm doing air quotes over here for those who can't see my air quotes. Uh, you know, they're all unsanctioned for the most part. I mean, the overwhelming majority of the, the popular and the high profile gravel races that we've been doing are non-sanctioned, which means, you know, they're not sanctioned by one unified kind of national governing body. <clears throat> and that means that there's a handful of different registration portals. So when you register, most of us are doing it on the internet. I mean, some folks still do it day of event. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume the overwhelming majority of people end up just logging onto their computer, their phone, clicking around on an event website, and then getting pulled to a registration page. And so now this varies. There's probably only about half a dozen different, you know, there's like bikereg.com and Omnigo events and events.com and she's, you know, run sign up. And there's a whole lot of these events across, you know, all these endurance sport kind of disciplines. My point is that as a person that falls outside of the gender binary or a person that is transgender and may want to race or it, that may want to race in the category that is opposite of their gender identity or for a person that doesn't know what you know they want to race in or you know you go and everything is 
male or female. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the the men's waffle ride, there's the women's waffle ride. And for in the case of Belgian waffle ride, they didn't offer a non-binary category. And uh I don't even remember if there were age groups or anything, but yeah, you basically registered as a man or a woman. So someone in my case, and my case is pretty unique. I, I gotta hate even stay the case, but you know, um, well, in, my in, personal story. Yeah, go ahead. I'll just say, like <clears throat> in your experience, I mean, just to, to clarify, you know, yeah, you have long identified as a woman. Your your driver's license says female, and while racing, you know, I think the the Pacific Northwest Cyclocross crowd is quite familiar with your story, but perhaps the rest of American cycling, not so much. Well, okay. okay. Actually, I'm going to, cha- I'm going to challenge that because I've been, I, I, I've been in American cycling and bike racing for a couple decades now. And, and, you know, I had a, 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 a mediocre career as a, a pro cyclocross racer and, you know, I raced world cups and raced all over the world. Yeah, on, Only transgender uh, cyclist I, to ever race a UCI world cup. Is that, is that correct? No, okay. Austin Killips, okay. I believe uh, Austin raced. Thank you. So for I was clarification. The, I, I was the yeah, I was the first. But Austin is actually the first to actually be able. Um, she raced in the women's race. And um, I'm totally spacing out. Um, it wasn't the Trek Cup. It was a uh, Jingle Cross. I see. Well, what, the World what, Cup. What I was trying. <laughs> I trying to challenge your career. I was just trying to set the stage for folks. Like what your racing history has been you know, prior to, you know, these last few weekends. Right. And I mean, I don't see it as a challenge. I, I'm just pointing out that like, this isn't a new thing, you know? I mean, this has been 20 years of me having the same conversation, you know? And like, yes. so it's, it's both that this isn't a new thing, you know, it's not like transgender folks popped out of the woodwork <laughs> last year and, and all of a sudden we got to come up with these new rules for people. It's like, no, somebody like me has been jumping through hurdles and, every time I go to an event, I have to do so much more and, and, and so much more like mental, put so much more mental and emotional energy into just like racing my bike mm-hmm. and doing this thing. You know, that's just a, a really important for me to drive home because I've been doing this and having the same damn conversation. Cause you know, you alluded to like, Hey, you know, the folks in the Pacific Northwest, I I've been Portland, Oregon based for 20 years. And like, I've lived all over the world. I've lived all over the U S and, um, I've been in Oregon and, <clears throat> Yeah, I have been racing nationally and internationally, you know, like I've been in the cycling news media and I've been in, you know, world level results. Like I've been cycling has known of me for, you know, sir, over 15, 20 years. And, you know, I have raced in pro women's races. I've raced in professional men's races and, you know, currently in the last decade or so, I've been racing mostly in pro men's races. Um, and, and why is that? Good point. So. There, I've talked about this in other, you know, uh, interviews and podcasts and stuff, but I, I lost access to healthcare in the early 2000s and then I couldn't get hormones. So I had been on hormone replacement therapy and I'm taking, you know, uh, drugs that are technically testosterone blockers or inhibitors and uh, estrogens. And when I lost access to healthcare, I was, I owned a business and I couldn't afford healthcare. I was a bike shop owner mm-hmm. and I couldn't afford to pay, to pay myself and get, get myself insurance. <clears throat> and then after a handful of years too, we should look up the exact year, um, the IOC and UCI and then USA cycling and then all the regional associations, they it's changed tw- the rule. 2016, I believe. Well, no, I think it was Oh five or six. 
I believe when they changed the rule changed and it was that you had to have gender, uh, you had to have gender reassignment surgery. That was the rule that they adopted. And yeah, I know your eyebrows, yeah. just so everyone, the <laughs> viewers know, Ben's, Ben's eyebrows went up. And so I need to look at that because it co-signed it. it, it, it the timing was just so odd because folks had complained that I was racing in women's races and it was fine. <clears throat> and then right around the same time, they adopted that rule as policy. And so the Oregon Bike Race Association officials came to me at a local little local training race and were like, hey, you, you know, here's the deal. The rule, the, this has come down from the UCI and USA Cycling. You need to ha show a doctor's note showing that you have a vagina. And so for those of you just listening here in this podcast, what your genitals look like don't affect athletic performance in any discipline. It doesn't matter if it's chess or endurance running or professional bike racing or tennis. Your genitals don't mean anything. Your physical body parts don't really mean anything. It's, it's you know, for sport, what they're, they're doing now is using testosterone as like one single chemical marker to identify a yes. performance and advantage that, or disadvantage. And that's what I thought you meant when we were asking about the date because, you know, 2016 is when UCI put in that testosterone, you know, certain yes. level per, you know, millimoles. Uh, that, that, that was the marker. That, yeah. Like my eyebrows went up when you were talking about gender reassignment surgery. Well, right. And I should do it now, but, and, and look, and I need to, to look at the timing, but yeah, back in, back, back then it was basically like you were fine until someone complained. And then when someone complained, they would go to the, you know, world governing body and the world governing body would say, well, you need to have a doctor's note saying you've had the reassignment surgery and, you know, gender reassignment surgery is expensive. Generally, I mean, you know, back then it wasn't covered by any insurances. It, so it wouldn't have mattered if I had healthcare and insurance anyways, I couldn't just go and get gender reassignment surgery. Um, yeah. So that's a lot of personal info. And again, I just want to keep reiterating this. I've been open and out, you know, since the nineties when I transitioned and, you know, I've, I've been through a lot in my, you know, uh, she's going on 30 or more years as an openly transgender person. Mm -hmm. And so I can talk about this stuff. It doesn't mean it's not hard. I mean, this is exhausting to talk about and like, but I'm, more than willing to put myself out there so that more folks don't have to talk about this. And I mean, that's really kind of what my experience has been at these last two big, the last two big, you know, uh, big pro gravel races of the year at Belgian waffle ride in Kansas and then big sugar in Bentonville, Arkansas. I very much appreciate that. Uh, I realized that many of us wouldn't want to talk about our past in any form over and over and over, especially when it comes to sexuality over and over and over. Um, right. But I, I, but I have to say, I, I appreciate you being willing to being willing to speak with us. Um, just to, to give a personal example to many folks, uh, who, for whom this subject is just a matter of like internet news and, and there's, yeah. just, there's no tangible example of like, who an actual person is and how this affects, you know, it's, it, it, it quickly polarizes into uh, online shouting match. So yeah, I appreciate you being able to, you know, whether it's speaking to me or, or going to events and, and having real conversations with real folks, because I, I, I find that personally uh, helpful and important and I hope others do too. So thanks. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. And, and really that's, that just like hits the nail on the head with the work I'm doing with ride. Um, you know, I've been, getting asked a lot, uh, you know, Michael Marks, the 
promoter of Belgian waffle ride. He's all about it. He loves what I'm doing. And we were texting on the drive. I made the drive from, uh, you know, from Lawrence, Kansas up to Philadelphia on my way to Northampton to race some cycle cross <clears throat> at a Meyerson's race. And, you know, we're texting and, and he's like, what do you, you know, you got it. What's your mission? What are you doing? And I'm like, Michael, I mean, the, the biggest piece of what I'm doing is continuing to be a part of the community and getting out of there and like having conversations with people. And like, that is the single biggest piece is, you know, again, it's not like transgender folks popped out of the woodwork all of a sudden this year. And, oh my gosh, we got to do something about this. It's like, no, we've been around forever for a long time. And, and I've personally been around forever. And the fact that like, I mean, he and I have known each other for, geez, I mean, it's certainly at least a decade and you've known of me for a long time. And even that, like I could, there's still people that I need to have conversations with and get with. And I'm, I like to think of myself as generally friendly and approachable person. You know, I'm willing to have these conversations and I'm also in a position now where um, I can make the time and energy to have these conversations as, as exhausting as it can often be. And really like, <clears throat> there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, we, we should kind of dive into the, these races and what happened, but there's this aspect of just you know constantly having to prove something mm-hmm. like you said you know on my driver's license and passport and all this stuff you know it says female it's been female for 30 years mm-hmm. and and uh you know but but yet i can't go and sign up for a bike race without having to jump through hurdles to just race in the category i would like to that's fair that uh is the you know, category that I choose, whether it's the men's race or the women's race. I was going to say, you know, just to touch on the word fairness, you know, racing in big sugar, I thought that was quite noteworthy with you know, trans yeah. legislation that's been both proposed and passed. So for instance, there's, there's a bill passed called fairness in women's sports uh, that, you know, banned trans women from uh, competing with, uh, with women or with, with girls at a high school level. Um, so that, 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 I thought that was, you know, having you in big sugar, uh, in Arkansas was, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like, this is not a brand new thing, <laughs> yeah. um, but f- for, for cycling, uh, it is, it is coming to the, to the fore in, in new ways. And, um, Velenus is certainly not a political outlet. We cover bike racing. Um, yeah. but yeah, so like that, you know, the politics of bike racing is. Is where this all intersects. So, that just comes up a lot. Cycling doesn't want to get political. Bike, bike racing and the cycling industry really wants to talk about how welcoming we are and how inclusive we are. And we welcome everybody. You know, we want everybody on bikes, but <clears throat> I'm challenging everybody in the industry and the sport to really put some real action and intent and meat behind those, uh, behind those words. Yeah. So, so what does that, what does that look like? Like in terms of bike racing, what is what does that look like for you, and what does that look like, you know, big picture? Oh well, okay, I'll give you some specific examples. I keep like, more... wide open questions. Sorry, I know, man. I mean, that's what's wild is this podcast is going to end up being like four hours. So you're, <laughs> it's going to have a hell of a time cutting it down into like a, a, a hour long digestible segment. So, let's start with you. What does what does fairness mean for you? Like in these last two weekends of racing. <laughs> well, the where, first where, thing where I you, like, where do you love want to, to race? say. I, that's the thing. The first thing I love to say is sport isn't fair. Uh-huh. There's always somebody younger, always somebody faster. There's always going to be somebody more technically skilled. Again, it doesn't matter if it's bike racing or chess or tennis or, you know, whatever, NASCAR. There's, look, 
we're trying so hard to make the, the this world. I mean, human bodies are incredible. I love you know, the Michael Phelps example. Like, how do we? How would you make rule? You know, this dude has a freak wingspan, like a gen, total genetic freak, total outlier, and that's why he was so. I mean, you know, amongst many things, training and discipline and nutrition and all that stuff comes into play. Good coaching, you know, access to resources, access to training facilities, access to events, which is kind of the key one here that I want to circle back around on. But you know. Sports not fair inherently. And I feel bad for the powers that be just a little bit because I'm like, you're trying to legislate. And then especially when you get into endurance sports like cycling and running, you know, and those are the two where <clears throat> it's, it, it's going to be so hard to make these rules that are going to be applicable to like every human body across the world and then make that, make that fair. So we've like, got the gender binary categories. I also want to put in here, I'm not a scientist. So as we talk about this stuff, <laughs> I'm like, not gonna, I'm, yeah, like, and this is something that I, I just, you know, everybody and their brother wants to chime in on what's fair in cycling and specifically women cycling is a big one, you know, because yeah. people don't really care if a transgender man hops into men's race. They, it's, it, they don't bat an eye. It might be a positive news story. Like, cool. Hey, we're, we're doing, we're doing inclusivity. We have trans men racing with us. Yep. But as soon as a transgender woman has any success in cycling at all, even moderate success, uh, getting a you know a top twenty in a masters age group race in some rural you know middle of nowhere Michigan race, there's going to be a firestorm, and it's this perception that like trans people are taking away, we're stealing, you know, we're taking away, and this is unfair, and there's an advantage. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And this is the context that transgender people, men and women and non-binary people go through their whole lives. This thing where we're constantly having to prove ourselves. We're constantly having to prove our identities. We're constantly having to fight for this validation, this acknowledgement of our gender pronouns and our, and our identities. And it's, can you tell I'm exhausted? Uh, it's exhausting. It's just, so then you come into this thing and people start crying about fairness and, and fair play in sport. And when you step out of it, and you look at like how, I mean, <clears throat> we have a transgender woman that raced in the women's category in the, in the World Cup here in the U.S. And she didn't clobber all the other pro women and step on the podium. Um, you know, she's out there racing her bike like any other woman and, you know, having reasonably good results. But there are transgender women racing you know, there are transgender girls competing in racing. And just like any other woman, there are some that will excel and rock it right to the top, you know, and all this, you know, be really great athletes in whatever discipline. And then there are some that will find themselves in the mid path. You know, much like me, I was, you know, like I never won a UCI race. And, you know, I've had moderate success and I could find the podium here and there, if of course suits me, but, you know, um, in men's and women's racing, I wasn't out there when I raced pro women's racing, I wasn't out there winning every single race. You know, I was about as competitive as I am now racing in the men's races. And <clears throat> I mean, I, I wish there was other language we could, I'm trying to figure out other language we can use other than just throwing the word fair around because right now the for, the sport is fair. A, a transgender woman can enter a women's race, the UCI and the USA cycling and all of the governing bodies of the world of every sport have policies that dictate what is fair. So when you have people, you know, whining, complaining about what's fair in sport, I just go, look, these are the rules of the sport as they're written. Every transgender person, man or woman or non-binary, I know is playing as fair as possible. And if you have an issue with these rules, well, 
you know, if you think you're a smarter scientist or doctor than the doctors and scientists, the world governing body and the court for arbitration of sport has, uh, feel free to join in the conversation there, you know, go, go get involved in the governing bodies. I mean, and I mean that in a, you know, not in a shitty way. I'm like, no, I, if you really think this is unfair, well, stop complaining about it on the internet and being negative and go get involved in the sport. Mm -hmm. And and ultimately that's the one thing that I see so much of is all these, uh, you know, there's a lot of anti-trans organizations and a lot of, uh, you know, there have been people out there showing up to events, trying to bully and harass transgender people and their allies, uh, at cycling events. It's happening. It's actually happening out there. And I'm just like, that's not okay. But if you want, you can get involved in the sport, but no, they just kind of want to go and complain about how bad it is and how unfair it is. And, and then don't want to actually do anything to positively change the sport. So, so let's just talk on your two recent gravel events, Big Sugar in Bentonville, Arkansas, and then Budget Waffle Ride, Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas. And, and the confusion around uh, where's Molly? Big Sugar is an awesome race put on by Lifetime. And, and I go to this race and... Um, I've generally mostly been racing the men's category races. And here's an aside that we should circle around and revisit. One of the biggest things I'm working on to in cycling is just changing the language around a lot of these events. Cause most men's races really should be open races <clears throat> because technically anybody can race a men's race. A non-binary person can race a men's race. A woman can race a men's race. Um, anybody can enter a men's race by most rules in, you know, UCI and USA cycling rules, but only women can race women's races. You know, a non-binary person technically can't enter a women's race. A man can't enter a women's race um, because that would be perceived as unfair or could potentially be unfair. So I go down and I uh, sign up for and enter the, you know, whatever the open uh, big sugar, the men's race. Um, they had a non-binary category and this is another aside. Uh, I'm not a non-binary person. You know, my gender identity is squarely female. I'm, mm-hmm. I identify as a woman and mm-hmm. that, that is, you know, pretty unequivocal. So I signed up for big sugar in the men's race. Cause it's called a men's race on the website. You know, and again, you put in your, if your gender and I always put in female, you know, and so most of these websites, if you, whatever you register, have put your uh, gender as when you sign up, that's what they're going to automatically, it's like written into the code of these websites. They just put you into whatever race. So I, so I did sign up for the men's race. I automatically get bumped into the women's race. And, you know, you don't really know this. Most of these websites don't tell you that they just kind of, you get the like, okay, you paid for your race. You're registered. Thanks for registering. Um, a lot of these gravel events are mass start events. So, for whatever discipline or whatever distance you're doing, they'll start everybody together. So for the big sugar, I think we did the little sugar, which was 75 miles or something. And um, they, we all just lined up together. So it was like Lauren Stevens and I, and a bunch of a uh, bunch of dudes and ladies from the major Taylor cycling team. And we were all in the front row and there was some non-binary cyclists in, in the category. And, you know, we all started the race together. Yes. So we are all technically racing together, starting together. And when that race started, I would say a group of uh, five or six, maybe eight of us just kind of rolled off up the hill, uh, mostly led by Lauren Stevens driving it up the first climb kind of coming out of this race. We established a break and it was five or six of us in the break and we had a decent little gap and we could see the field behind us. And uh, yeah, it was Lauren Stevens and I and a 
and, and a few other dudes. And we rolled this break all day, and I think a couple people bridged up. And then Lauren and I were kind of killing it on the climbs. Um, and the cool thing about that experience was like, I don't, I don't know if I've ever raced. I don't, in fact, I don't think I've ever raced with uh, or against Lauren Stevens in any race. You know, she mostly does pro road racing. I've always done cycle cross. Our paths have crossed, you know, I run a women's road team over the years and, you know, we've certainly raced my team against her, but I've never raced against her. And after that break got established, I could tell she was racing her bike and then I could tell she was watching me and I was racing my bike. I mean, again, like I'm, I race bikes to race. I love racing. I love tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the most talented bike racer out there, but I will play every card I'm dealt to try and win the race. So the whole time I'm analyzing everyone in the break and I'm paying attention. And I, that's partly why I was going a little hard on the climbs is I wanted to see, you know, who's feeling jumpy and who might want to go hard and who I could hurt, you know, and I could tell right away. The other thing I could tell right away was that she was studying the same things about me. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of hilarious. We played this whole game and we were heckling each other the whole race. She's heckling me for going hard on the climbs. And then on the next climb, she would just drop us. And I was like, you, you know, and then I was heckling her for taking short pulls. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's all you got. Huh? And she's like, what are you laughing? At? I, mean, I was like, I was literally laughing. at her. I was heckling her. And she's like, what are you laughing at? And I said, you know what I'm laughing at? And, you know. It might not be Perry Roubaix. It might not be the world, you know, world champs or the national champs, but we're still there to race our bikes. And during this race, I don't know if I'm not thinking about fairness. I'm just thinking about how do I beat the people I'm racing with, right? Um, and I'm not worried about like, you know, who these people are or what they are. I'm just there. It look trying to analyze their abilities and figure out when and how I can win this race. Where do I attack? Do I attack? Do I even make it to the finish line? Am I going to get dropped on the climbs? Like, how is this going to pan out? Um, and long story short, we, I did drive it on a climb and then Lauren drive, drove it on a climb. And then we end up getting to the going basically into the last few K of this race back into town, back into Bentonville. And I know there's one last little climb at the finish. And I knew it was coming. And Lauren just attacks at the bottom of this climb. There was like nothing I could do. She dropped everybody. I mean, she had a gap. She easily had a five or 10 second gap. And then we were slowly bringing it back. And a dude named Andrew was like just able to kind of come back around me, get up to Lauren and just barely sprinted to pip her at the line. Uh Uh So Andrew wins. Lauren gets second. I get third on the road. And we basically all finished within a couple seconds. of I mean, we were like, sprinting up this hill to sprint from a K out to the climb to the finish. And it was great. It was real bike racing, you know, like it was really fun. You know, how often do you get to like sprint for a finish in a gravel race out of a fun little breakaway group? Awesome. And I really, I think all three of us felt fulfilled uh, and like, it was a good effort and we had a great day, you know? And uh, there's no complaining about fairness or any, you know, uh, whining and moaning. So, here's where the things get funny is um, we finish. And then, you know, I think at some point you get an email about results or something, or if we see results and I'm like, Oh, right. Of course they have put me, they've uh, scored me in the women's race. So I got second to Lauren fine, but I was third on the road. And then also like I had registered for the men's race. Cause you know, I just, I've been in racing in the men's category and uh, well, I got second in the men's race behind Andrew. (laughs) 
so it's kind of funny. So I got second on both podium in, in both races, men's or women's race, but I got third on the road. So you, anyway, it plays out. I'm on the podium. I'm like, Hey, I'm good with that. That's great. And it's, it's just also funny, you know, because I end up talking to some of the other women that were there that were behind us on the podium. And I think the next, the next woman finisher ended up finishing only about a minute behind us uh, from another little small breakaway. <clears throat> and then the rest of the group was minutes behind that. And there's just this element of like, I'm taking something away from the women and there's not that on the men's side. Um, there really was no like, Oh, you're stealing a podium spot from the dudes. Oh, this poor guy that was in, that is now going to get fourth place could be on the podium, but since you're on the men's side, you're taking it from him. But on the women's side, it's definitely like, Oh, well, we should let like, you know, these women like have this opportunity to get on the podium. Meanwhile, I, in my head and in my heart, I'm like, hey, I got third on the road. Like, I deserve that third place spot. The podium should be Andrew in first, Lauren in second, and me in third. I mean, that is what happened, and that is the most fair thing out there. But they really wanted to have gendered podiums, and I was like, hey, you know what? It's fine. Just put me on the dude's podium. That's the race I should have been in. And then, you know, there's a funny thing here too, Ben. You know, I've been involved in the women's side of the sport and women's cycling for so long. And so any chance I can get, I'll always try to like advocate for women's cycling and try to give like other women an opportunity and a chance. And, you know, I get asked this a lot. Like, why wouldn't you have gone and stood on the women's podium? You identify as a woman. You're a female. You say you're transgender. You say you're a woman. You say you're female. Like, why wouldn't you stand on the women's podium? And I'm like, you know, <clears throat> there is really a part of me that wants to that podium is going to mean a hell of a lot more to another rider than it does to me. You know, my sponsors and my partners, everybody, they like podiums are great and cool, but that's, you know, if it means something more to another woman to get up on that second or third place spot, like I want them to have it. Even though I do have to say like, it's hugely conflicting for me and it actually makes me really uncomfortable and I fucking hate it. Like I don't want to stand on the dude's podium. I, you know, I might, it's this wild thing that like, you know, it is an emotional struggle for sure, for sure, for me to stand on like a men's podium because it's reaffirming for the public. Well, you know, it, it, I, I, I feel like I worry and in my heart, it's like, right, it's reaffirming that like I'm just a dude mm -hmm. and it doesn't doesn't fit with my identity. And that is honestly a struggle. Um, and but then there's this again, this aspect for transgendered men and women that like we're seen as taking or we're seen as taking advantage of something or something's not right or there's always a controversy and i'm so well aware that like me standing on the women's podium is going to cause some drama or a firestorm or wrinkle some people's feeling you know hurt some people's feelings and make them think oh that's unfair there's somebody that looks like a dude that looks like a man standing on that women's podium what's up with that well obviously that person is a dude so they're cheating and they're in, they're cheating in the women's race and that's why they got on that podium well that's unfair and i don't feel that like i don't feel that me standing on the women's podium is an effective uh, statement i think that some people some folks may feel you know, hey, it's important for you to be up there and standing on the women's podium. And that's like representation. And I think there's an aspect to it that could be good. You know, like, hey, people need to see different women's bodies and need to see that, like, hey, you know, there are some bodies that don't look like the like stereotypical female body that are actually female bodies. Um, my style in general has been 
you know, less controversy and more behind the scenes work. And yeah, that really drives my choice to not stand on the women's podium when offered in, in a situation like that. Um, and then, you know, that also, as I'm working with Lifetime and I'm working with Big Sugar and the promoters and I'm working with Belgian Waffle Ride and all these race and event promoters. And now, you know, that like got to start working with the um, results companies, you know, the companies that do the timing chips or, and actually there's a, usually a separate business that runs all the, does all the results and scoring of races and events. Yes. Working with them to like improve this so that like a transgender person doesn't have to jump through hurdles to stand on the podium or get their results put in the category that they want, you know, because after big sugar, I mean, I had the race promoter and the scoring officials come up and they're like coming up and they're, and they're nervous and they're kind of like, this is an awkward conversation for them to have. And they're trying to be really respectful of me. I mean, that's the great thing I do have to say is all of these race promoters, almost unequivocally, every single one of them are approaching this stuff and really truly trying so hard to be inclusive and to be respectful. And, you know, it's funny. I've been scored in non-binary categories. A, a, a trophy showed up in the mail to my house uh, a couple of months ago from a gravel race I did this spring, and they sent me the non-binary winners. And I was like, "But I'm not non-binary. I didn't. I didn't win that race. I got. I actually that race. I got second in one of those races too. And I was like, "No, I got second in the dudes race. And you should give me that. That's what I should get, not the um, the dudes race, which should be called an open race because men and women can race it. So." It's wild because there's so much work to do and, but it's not about fairness in sport. It's just about technical stuff. It's getting with these timing chip and, and race event timing and scoring companies and helping them work on their web infrastructure and their spreadsheets basically to be like, Hey, you need to change your code on your website so that someone can register as a man or a woman, and then also enter a cap, the category of their choosing. Yeah, gravel's an interesting uh, landscape for this because, you know, as you mentioned, UCI has very detailed regulations for elite level racing. Uh, gravel races often pride themselves on being outside the sphere. There's no rules in gravel. You can do whatever. But, but, but at the same time, there are various social expectations that are coming together in, in different ways. And, oh, that's a good, a perfect segue to the next race I did two, three days ago. Um, the Belgian Waffle Ride in Lawrence, Kansas. Belgian Waffle Ride Kansas had separate men's and women's events for the longer races the way they've done all season, which is unique for gravel races where usually it's just a mass start. Everyone races together, scored separately, much like local racing for you know different age divisions where if there's not enough racers to do a big field, we put everybody together, score them separately. Uh, Belgian Waffle Ride breaks that apart for the longer races. For the wafer, which you and I did, everyone starts together, which is... One thing that I very much enjoy about gravel racing is is riding and racing with people like you were describing about you know racing with Lauren. That, you know, otherwise, I haven't. And in our event, we had everyone from uh, a, a tandem pair wearing horn helmets to a couple guys from Dakuna Quickstep, and a lot of folks in in between. So that was a, a fun group to race with. Tell us about your your experience there of of winning this race, uh, in part through grit and in part through you know, decades of cyclocross skills. I was afraid you were going to, you were going to drop us through there. There's also another thing I should mention. There was a six and a half mile cyclocross course, which, uh, you know, certainly played to your, to your yeah, which suited, which suited me. I mean, I had, I've, <laughs> what that race was wild. I mean, that's why I, I, I was trying to write up a race report 
to give to uh, Michael Marks, the promoter of Belgian Waffle Ride. And I just was like, I can't, I can't sum up how wild this event was. And yeah, I mean, how much, <sighs> you couldn't tailor make a course any better for me. I mean, you know, like none of the climbs were that long. It was, there were little like, you know, 30 second, one minute little hills, which is great. I can fake my way over those. So we got in this group and ended up in a breakaway with the couple of the quick step guys and then, and another uh, Italian former pro that was on a uh, Mondini. He was on us postal back in the two thousands. John Paul Mondini. Yes. Big motor, big draft. I love writing behind that guy. Hey, it's Scott Moninger. Like, look, there's, there's some legit old firepower in that group. I mean, you, you were riding great and like super strong. Yeah. And then to get through this race, I mean, we all had little technical issues, right? I mean, we were all messed with our bikes and popping out of pedals and chambers. Yeah. My derailleur was making it. We were all a mess. And then, um, yeah, (laughs) like to put a cycle, basically put a cycle cross course, right in the last 10 miles of the race was just like, wow, you could, you just kind of like handed this to me. Like, and it was a fun as hell. I, yeah. So for like a f- four, four of us entered cross, the cross course, only one uh, exit with a gap. <laughs> <laughs> that was Molly. I mean, and, I mean, that was it. Like you punctured, I think I punctured. We all were just, you know, your seat post broke. We were all just as kind of a shit show out there. Right. I just laugh every, I'm talking about this. And then I'm just like, you know, and everybody wants to complain about fairness in sport. And I'm just like, well, how fair is it to anybody, any other one of my competitors to put a cycle cross aspect <laughs> to the, put a cycle cross course at the end of a, like, you know, 70 mile gravel day. What? Like, yeah, that's super unfair to everybody but me in this race. Like, like come on. Yeah. Finish across the finish line. I'm like, holy hell. And then, you know, you roll, you guys weren't really, we're not far behind and you guys rolled through and then, you know, everybody rolls by and, and then Raylan Nuss, um, was there and and she won the women's race yes. of that same distance. So then, of course, I go and they had the results getting posted up on these TV screens inside a Sunflower Bike Shop, and I'm like, oh, they have me scored in the women's race. So as I've had to do at just about every event for the last twenty plus years, I sheepishly go over to the uh, timing company that's scoring and the timing the race. And go over to the finish line where they're tallying results as people are still finishing. And I wait till there's a lull in the action. And I'm like, Hey y'all, I just want to make sure you have me in the right race. Like I won the men's race and they're like, okay, okay. You know, and they're all super nice. Okay, cool. And then they updated it. So they had me winning. You got second. You and I stood on the, the men's podium there. Scott didn't realize there's a podium. He'd already driven to Missouri. He was excited <laughs> about the Kansas Chiefs football game the next day. He was gone. Yeah. And again, it was just a really fun race and a fun day. But some things I want to point out and talk about, um, you know, I have that experience that like I feel comfortable and I know who to talk to and where to go. And so I know that I can walk over to the officials that are scoring the race and pester them. That alone is enough why trans folks wouldn't want to come to bike races. You know, less experienced people that are new to the sport. You do that once and it's like scary and annoying and like it's really scary for a lot of people. There are plenty of people that are not out, you know, that are there are plenty of transgender people that you don't know are transgender. They're just men and women like everybody else out there. There are plenty of non-binary people that you know that you don't know are non-binary. You know, it's not this thing that I don't wake up every day going like I can't wait to talk about my gender today. You know, I, I just, you know, like. And that's most people don't wake up every day. It's not our crusade to shove being transgender in your faces. But like, this is the stuff we have to deal with just to like, 
right ride our bikes and we're all playing fair there's not like some sneaky trans folks out there being like oh i'm gonna sneak into this category that i have this huge advantage in, so i can go and win that's not happening it's still not happening we've had transgender non-binary folks in the olympics everything we're all playing fair we're all playing by the rules and the fact that we still have to jump through hurdles we have the ability all of these race promoters and all of these timing and scoring companies have the ability USA Cycling, the UCI, they all have the ability to just change the code on their website. It's not that hard to, uh, you know, change the options and correct the categories, make all men's racing open racing. It's easy. It's just a word. I mean, literally. And then you change some code on the back of your website. You're going to improve your inclusion. I mean, that is like when we talk about the work I'm doing with Ride, and this is something Michael Mark was asked. Marks was asking me, what are you what are some big initiatives you're working on? What are you doing? You know, and I'm like, look, it's the subtle stuff like this that is the most important stuff. If I can make it so that every non non-binary and any transgender person doesn't have to do anything that a non-transgender person has to do, they just register for their race and that's it. And they don't have to talk about their gender or their identity at all. And they can go and participate in this event, win or lose, whether they finish in 170th place or whether they are on the podium. They don't have to discuss their gender identity. They don't have to talk about anything with anybody. They can just go and participate like every other person does. That's the stuff I'm working on. And sometimes there's not like a big public initiative or a big action happening. It's literally me leaning on and working on and leveraging these long relationships I've had with these timing companies, with these event promoters to say, look, like here are the small changes you need to make that are going to truly make your events more inclusive. Hey, this is a real issue. This is a barrier to participation for transgender people and non-binary people. We need to fix this. And it's not like overhauling some ruling system. It's literally just changing some language on your websites and some code so that people can enter the category and the gender category they want at your events. And that's it. They don't have to talk about it with anybody. There's no you know, personal, a big piece is privacy. I should stop rambling. You know, I'm a really public with this stuff because it's the work I'm doing. And like, I tell my personal story and all my background and it's like, you know, it's private stuff. Nobody else should be having to do this. Trans folks and non-binary people are, and cisgender people shouldn't have to talk about this private and personal stuff. You shouldn't have to lay your gender identity and what hormones you are or are not on out to the world. That's private information. Dignity and privacy is such a big piece and it ties into the mental health aspect of this. Again, you know, I mean, Ben, imagine if at every damn race somebody was begging, you know, hey, I need to see what testosterone levels you're at. And like, oh, let me see your driver's license and your gender. And you need a doctor's note to show that you are actually a dude. Like, it'd be fucking exhausting. You'd go do something else. After a certain point, you'd be like, you know, man, cycling is just like a giant pain in my butt. I'm literally just going to go hang out with my family and ride mountain bikes and not do any more events because this sucks. So that's what I'm working on because cycling is rad and I love bike racing and I want to have, you know, for, for as many people that cry foul about how unfair having trans people in women's racing or sport may be, I'm like, women's side of all sport needs help. Every sport. I don't care what it is. I mean, even women's world cup soccer still needs help. Like it's a mess. We need more women racing bikes. Would you rather have 50 women in your race or six? Like let's have more women racing. And, you know, there are rules in place. So trans women and non-binary people are playing by the rules and as fair as possible. And don't you want more bodies in your race? Uh, I think most do, you know, and I haven't had a conversation with Lauren Stevens yet about the race. So she did an email and wants to get some of my ride 
you know, the transgender pride wristbands. We did have a conversation after, but again, you know, like I'm at a bike race. I don't want to dive into like gender theory with, with people at bike races. I will, I do all the time, but she and I played bike racer and we raced each other and she beat me, you know, she kicked my ass and that was amazing. Like, it's a weird thing that you can get a lot of respect for somebody just by racing bikes with them, whether you win or lose. And I want to see more of that on the women's side of the sport. Um, I think I, I think I'm seeing a lot more complaining about what's fair and what categories. I mean, you know, even this thing with the women in San Diego, there are plenty of women that don't want to have segregated categories. Plenty of women that are like, no, we want to race with the dudes because it's just about how fast we're riding, you know? Uh, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. There is a lot to unpack there. And unfortunately, we are running out of time. But I look forward to continuing this conversation and continuing to uh, see you and race with you at races. Right now, you know, outside staff, Betsy Welsh and myself are 0 for 2 against Molly Cameron. We're going we're gonna to get least, <laughs> try to get at least one notch on our side of the board the next time. So you, call, calling it now. We're, we're trying to we're, com- we're coming for you, Molly. So now is this going to be unfair? Where like you and Betsy? So honestly, I think you and Betsy, if you secretly team up against me, I think I don't have a chance. We're going to do whatever we can, whatever it takes. Amazing. Molly Cameron, founder of Ride. You can find more about Ride at ridegroup.org. And uh, thank you for taking the time. I very much appreciate you. I look forward to speaking with you more. Yeah, keep the conversation going. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Molly. All right, folks, that does it for this week. I am Ben Delaney, and I thank you for listening to the Velo News Podcast.